Praise God. Praise God. Amen. I am so thankful to be in the house of the Lord tonight. Amen. Elements, we are going to be continuing our series, and I am glad to be here with you all tonight. Thank you to those that are watching online. You can be seated tonight. Tonight, we are going to be talking about the gospel. We also call this the good news. What an hour for the church. What an hour for the church to know that we have good news. When all that we see and hear and bombarded with day after day, we have good news. And it is still good news. One song said, it's not just good news, it's the best news ever. The Bible says that there is a gospel I'm going to read about in just a moment. The gospel, this good news, this good news that was preached by Jesus while he was on earth, that was of what was to come. And then there's the gospel of Jesus Christ where he's allowing his disciples to preach and teach and us the gospel that we have that says it's not just coming but it's already here and it's already done and now we have that glorious hope it is the gospel of Jesus Christ Matthew chapter 24 verse 3 is where I'm going to begin it says and as he sat upon the mount of olives the disciples came unto him privately saying tell us when shall these things be And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass. But even after all of this, even after all of that craziness, he said, The end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in divers places. And all of these things are the beginning of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted, and shall kill you, and ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall be, many be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall arise and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. What a promise that after all of the craziness, that that ain't even the end yet... And then there's more craziness, and that's just the beginning of sorrows. And then there's a whole lot of other things that go on. But to he that endures unto the end, the same shall be saved. And most of the time, that's where we stop right there, and we shout, and we rejoice, and we get excited. But if you read the next verse, it says, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world. For a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. 
So, Pastor, they can try to stifle us. They can try to keep us quiet. They can try to do all of those things. It told us it was going to happen. It told us we would be persecuted. But even after all of that, there is hope and there is promise. Even after all of that, the gospel is still going to be preached. We're still going to have the opportunity to tell people there is coming a day soon and very soon where we are going to see the king. And it's good news. It's not all bad. You're just hearing the wrong things. You're listening to the wrong people. We have good news to bring. This gospel shall be preached and then shall the end come. Now, I've been raised in church my whole life, and you hear about the gospel. Not gospel music, not black gospel or southern gospel, but the gospel. It is often referenced, but sometimes not truly grasped. And I think there has been an assumption that everyone just knows what the gospel is. And we we were freshmen in Bible college with about 75 students in our class, and Probably day one, we get into a classroom and the question was asked, what is the gospel? Now, you had 50% of the freshmen who are afraid to answer because they don't want to say anything and be wrong. And then you had 50% of the class who knew everything before they even got there. So your chances of getting a great answer were not very good. But it was such a realization that many had a general idea, but they truly did not no, that the gospel, this, this gospel that is the death, the burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's not one or the other. It's not a pick two combo that you say, well, I'll have this one but and this one, but not the other one. No, it's the death, the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's all, all three go together and we're thankful that we know that tonight. Without death, there would be no payment for our sin. Without burial, there would be no putting away that old man. And without the resurrection, we would have no hope of a future. And so we must obtain a sensitivity towards Calvary. For understanding truly begins there. The gospel message is or should be more than something that we preach on Easter Sunday. But it should be something that every child of God should have in their heart that says, I can share this with somebody, not because I have all the wisdom in the world and not because I'm a great theologian, but because I've experienced it, because I have been blood bought, because I have been baptized in the name of Jesus. I have been filled with his spirit. And so now I can too share this gospel. While it would appear that after seeing him breathe his last breath on the cross, and this was the end, it was in fact just a brand new beginning. It was no longer life, and that devastated some, but it was now new life and greater life. He bears the cross and he lays his life down willingly. Isaiah 53 said, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. He did all of that for us. 
what good news you could share with somebody and take them to Isaiah and say, look, I want to teach you just how much God loves you. He did all of this for you. He did all of this because he cares about you. First Peter two twenty four. who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. Philippians 2 verse 7 says, But he made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. Now this is where he was then placed in that borrowed tomb and was kept watched by guards with one seemingly simple task. Could it be that he did not want the disciples and others coming and snatching away the body? Or could it be that there was that thought in his mind, maybe this guy is going to come out of this grave like he said he would. Maybe this guy is really who he's been saying that he is. And so to the soldiers, you have one objective, and that is to keep the dead dead. I'm going to put you out here, and you're going to guard this tomb. Day one was not so shabby. Day two was pretty quiet. But then on that third day, I don't know who had that shift. I don't know who rotated in that night before that morning. But they've got the excitement of a lifetime. When the stone began to shake and roll away and light began to shine. And Jesus, who was dead, is now alive and well standing before him. That's good news, and we get to share it. The light began to shine, and that stone rolled away, and this soldier who had seen him dead now sees him alive and well. Nobody could believe it was really him. Some of them thought he was the gardener. There were people that were locked away in the house, and all of a sudden he appeared, and they're blown away that he's there. What is he doing here? He was just there, and he was dead. But here he stood with his disciples again. And don't you know that just days prior what they must have felt? Seeing this man who could heal the sick and raise the dead and walk on water and do all these miracles and signs and wonders and do all these awesome things. Who was their friend and their companion and to watch him breathe his very last breath. Watch him willingly die. But there in our first point tonight was, and it was just going to happen. There was going to be a death and a curse. As humans, we know that we are mortal. And if the Lord tarries, at some point we too will face death. But no matter how much we try to normalize it and desensitize ourselves to, so that we don't have fear and that we don't have sadness... When it comes to the ones we love, we see the truth. And that is, it is not supposed to be here. It's not supposed to happen. It wasn't supposed to be like this. This was not supposed to be. 
death is the result of sin interrupting the original plan for paradise. Notice I didn't say stopping the original plan, but simply putting a bump in the road that we had to navigate through. But God's plan was not going to be stopped. Romans 5 and 12 says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Death entered the world by sin, and because of sin. The man who brought sin into the world, man, wouldn't you like to be that guy? That Paul is writing, and he said, Through a man, thank you for not saying my name. Thank you for not calling me out. But how would you like to be the one that it's written? Wherefore, as by one man, sin entered the world. Hi, we are Adam and Eve, and we brought sin into the world and kind of doomed the rest of you. Since creation, the only quest every generation has entirely devoted itself to is the quest to defeat death. Kings and geniuses and countless others have exhausted every effort and left no idea untried. They have merely managed to only delay death by a few moments. And we have developed coping mechanisms and people who try to use wisdom in hard times and say things to try to help. And, and, and you just, there's no words that soothe that pain. There's no words that can truly make things better. But, but we in our efforts try and, and people say things like, well, you know, it's just part of living. It's just the circle of life. When it's my time to go, it's my time to go. And if only death made sense, it would make sense. But death is not natural. It is a violation. It is an intruder. It is a snake in the garden. The enemy has always desired to steal, to kill, and to destroy, period. That is his objective. He wants to take you out. But thanks be to God... That he came that we might have life and have life more abundantly. Thankfully that while there was one that wanted death, there was somebody far greater who said, No, I want there to be life and far greater life. As long as death has been around, we are by no means any closer to getting used to it. But from the very beginning, we have been given a choice. We can choose God. Or we can choose not God. That's it. You either choose God or not God. God is life. So to choose him would be to choose life, right? But not God would be not life. And what would not life be? Death. If God is the source of all that is good then a not-God life would be full of bad. Each generation has been given the same choice, and yet each has invariably made the same choice. Death. Now you say, well, I didn't pick death. I didn't wake up one day and say, I choose that. And, you know, I, I think I'll have death with a side of chaos and a large trouble. We didn't order that. 
But some of the decisions that we've made in our sinful nature brought about that death. Some things that we done, had done foolishly, not realizing the ramifications of our decisions, chose that for us. All have sinned. And death is the penalty of that sin. Paul understood that every human being, every single one, is fundamentally flawed. And given enough time and without divine intervention, will choose not God. For Romans 3 verse 11 and 12 says, There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Well, that makes you feel pretty lousy. There's not one. Psalms 14 says, The fool has said in his heart, There is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. They are all gone aside. They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. In Romans class one day, we were talking about this very thing and we were talking about things that we would do or not do. And of course, you know, oh, I would never do that. Brother Eldon, I would never say that. I would never make that poor choice. I would never do this. And the whole time the instructor sitting there going. Just shaking his head. No, nope, that's not what I'm looking for. Nope, nope, you're wrong. Nope, you're wrong. And so we're all sitting there like, what do you want us to say? Yeah, I'll do it. And he said, that's exactly what I want you to say. And we sat there a minute and I'm like, okay, why would he want us to say that? And so the more we sat there and thought about it, we began to talk and say, you know what? Because I, without the help of the Holy Ghost, without God, without the gospel being applied in my life, I not only would be able to do those things, I most likely would do those things. What a tragedy it would be for me to know what I might be capable of doing without the help of God. What could I be involved in that I look outside of the world thinking, how could they do that? How could they act that way when they don't have what I have? But when I have what I have, then it makes me understand and it makes me appreciate just how much this gospel really means to me. And it makes me realize how good of news this really is. That I don't have to stay like that. I don't have to continue living that way. But if I would allow myself the opportunity and given the right circumstance and the right snake come along like Pastor preached about Sunday morning, I would probably do something really dumb. But thank God that he gave me mercy and grace and an opportunity to repent of my sins and be washed and be filled with his spirit and to continue living a life for him. What good news. If we get real, we would do some of those things that we said we would never do. Some of us did things we said we would never do. Raise your hand if you did something you said you'd never do. Woo! Because we do. Without realizing it, we choose not God. 
without paying attention to the choices and decisions we're making, we choose that not God life. Even though we love God, even though we want to serve God, sometimes we just make really poor choices. That's why we've got to crucify this flesh and mortify the deeds of this flesh. Then not only would we do those things, but we will not do those things if we would be obedient to the word of God and apply his blood in our life and allow him to change us. Our flesh cannot be trusted. Period. Our tongue cannot be tamed. Our eyes and our hands can offend us. Our feet can cause us to stumble. My own understanding will let me down. And the heart, even the heart that you would think would be this good and pure thing, the Bible says is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. My head, my hands, my eyes, my heart, my feet, every part of me, this flesh, I cannot trust this guy right here, ever. That is what brings us to point number two. And that is there is a need for a Savior. One thing that every soul on earth has in common tonight is not that we all agree on politics. That's very evident. It's not that we all agree in whether we think we should wear a mask or not wear a mask. That's very evident. But the one thing, whether we want to admit it or not, that we all have in common is that we need a Savior. And we need God in our lives. And we need God in our world. We all have that in common. There are no exceptions. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now, I learned that word A-L-L a long time ago, and it still means the same thing today as it did then. All, every single one of you, every single one of us in this place, every person in our world, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Our nature is not good. It is selfish. It is sinful. Good men and women can do bad things because we are all flesh. Humanity often will get a pass when God gets blamed for so many things. There was a man by the name of Abraham Joseph Heschel. He was a Holocaust survivor and he said that he was asked so many times by people, well, where was your God when your people were being starved to death? Where was your God when they were being persecuted? Where was your God when y'all were being thrown into human ovens? Where was your God then? And he said every time that they would ask those questions, his heart would stir. And he said, I finally begin to say the question is not where was God? The real question was where was man? Everyone at some point or another perhaps many points in their life, good or bad, no matter the home they were raised in, will commit evil or allow it to be committed. And it's not always just what we do. For Scripture names all of these things. But he says, who knowing the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. So whether you're the one doing it, 
or you're just taking pleasure in somebody else doing it. That is sin. We want a risk-free life. We want not-God solutions for our not-God lives. We're like the prodigal son who wants nothing to do with that. And then we, we leave and we find ourselves trying to get solutions to our problem. And so we wind up eating with pigs, trying to eat something. But the not God solution is not going to work when you're desperately needing a God, a Savior. And so he came to himself and realized my not God solution is not working. And so I've got to get back to where I know I need to be. And when I get back there, then the solution is right. And I'm going to be fed. I'm going to be filled. I'm going to rejoice and dance and sing and be merry. Because I finally woke up and realized my not God solution is not going to help me. A beautiful part of the gospel is that God has been perfectly willing to stand at the end of the line and wait until you've tried everything else. That when there was a woman with an issue of blood who had tried everything else... There was still a God who would pass by her way and give her an opportunity to be healed. That even when you've tried so many things out there, that there's still a God that allows you to find him at an altar and say, God, I'm sorry I've been chasing all these other things. I'm sorry I got caught up in all this other stuff, but thank you for giving me this opportunity. Thank you, God. Men, could you imagine... If on your first date with your spouse tonight, years ago, whenever that may have been, if you'd have sat across the table from her that first night and said, hey, I've had a really good time, but uh, from here on out, I want you to know I'm going to go spend time with some other gals, and I'm going to take them on dates, and we're going to go out to dinner all the time, and then if none of those work out, if none of that plays out the way that I, I think it might, then I'm going to come back to you. It might be five years. It might be when I'm older. It might be a long, long time from now. But, but, but would you wait for me? You hear the laughter and it's all the ladies laughing thing. And there ain't no way. But I'm thankful that that's exactly what God does. I'm thankful that he is patient. I'm thankful that he cares enough about us to give us an opportunity to find him. Point number three is the audacity of God's plan. Romans 5 verses 17 through 21 in the Passion Translation said, Death once held us in its grip. And by the blunder of one man, there it is again, death reigned as king over humanity. But now, how much more are we held in the grip of grace and continue reigning as kings in life, enjoying our regal freedom through the gift of perfect righteousness in the one and only Jesus the Messiah? In other words, just as condemnation came upon all people through one transgression, so through one righteous act of Jesus' sacrifice... The perfect righteousness that makes us right with God and leads us to a victorious life is now available to all. 
One man's disobedient opened the door for all humanity to become sinners. So also one man's obedience opened the door for many to be made perfectly right with God and acceptable to him. So then the law was introduced into God's plan to bring the reality of human sinfulness out of hiding. And yet wherever sin increased, there was more than enough of God's grace to triumph all the more. And just as sin reigned through death, so also this sin-conquering grace will reign as king through righteousness, imparting eternal life through Jesus our Lord and Messiah. My, what a promise. It is harder and harder for people today to receive the grace of God. And you say, well, why, why would you say that? Because of what pastor talked about Sunday morning, and that's that mentality that says, I deserve this. I've done so many things in my life that I deserve the grace of God. I deserve his forgiveness. I deserve all of his blessings. I deserve all of his promises. For you see, grace in itself is that unmerited favor of God towards men. We could not obtain this on our own because of one man's disobedience. But one man's obedience made all of this possible. Our help had to come from outside of ourselves. No logical reason drove Jesus to the cross, yet in face of our sin, he showed us grace and submitted to death, destroying the curse and penalty of sin. The crucifixion showed the depravity of human nature, and Jesus showed the grace of God. Once Jesus arrived on the scene, death began to unravel. For you see, Satan, though, thought he had already caught God off guard. Because he crept into the garden so subtly and he gave man an opportunity. And when man sinned, he thought, now I've got God cornered. Because now that sin is in Adam's heart, God is going to have to love Adam and tolerate sin. Or God is going to have to hate Adam because he hates the sin. But you see, Satan was not in on the original plan. For the Bible says he was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Where sin had its grip on so many lives and seemed to be more in number than they without sin. Because the only sinless one was him. But God's plan was to eradicate sin from every repentant heart. And once Jesus stepped down on the scene and he laid his life down on the cross... And was buried in the tomb and got up on resurrection Sunday. So that we might become one with him. And we would take on his name. So that now the minority would be the majority. Because greater is he that is in me than he that is in all of the world. When we took on that nature and we took on the name of God and he lives inside of us. Greater is that very one that is inside of me than he that is in all of the world. That antichrist spirit that runs rampant. Just one man allowed me to outnumber my enemy. It was not some new idea. It wasn't some plan C. No, it was his plan from the very beginning. And what a tactic 
to let the enemy think that he had won. To let the enemy think that you were done. To let the enemy think that he was the victor. Only to have that stone rolled away. And death finally was defeated. Are you thankful tonight for that gospel message? Are you thankful tonight that he defeated death for you? That he paid the ultimate price? See, the gospel, it doesn't really appeal to our pride. We want resurrection without crucifixion. We want the glory of God, but we don't want the gloom that comes with the death. Some would rather have a clean cross. Some would rather have no cross at all. Some do not see the necessity of water baptism and the infilling of His Spirit. Some who have been baptized did so for a free t-shirt and a photo op with the pastor. But I am thankful that there are people that are still hungry, that want to be washed in the name of Jesus, that are looking for answers, that are looking for hope in a hopeless world. The apostles even described the gospel as a stumbling block or an offense to our vanity. But some people that I believe are here tonight, they know the real beauty of the blood. Some people were desperate to depart from that old man. And so they were that eunuch who said, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? Some people still cling to that old rugged cross. There are some people who still love this good news. Point number four is the remedy of the cross. Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection were God's way of dealing with human sinfulness. And the curse of death initiated the end of the reign of death and gave hope to all people for all time. Through the death of one, all can be made alive. 1 Corinthians 15 says, But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Through the death of Jesus, all rule and all authority and power shall be put down. For he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. Praise God. In an age where human confidence in its own forms of self-perfection is regaining momentum and the cross, the true, the ugly, the bloody, rugged cross that is unfashionable. This view of Christ's death being likened unto our own state of repentance is likely to sound contrary to what some religious people are even teaching and preaching today. Because we don't like death. We don't like the cross. We don't like that scene because it's not pretty. But remember the true gospel is not to flatter you. It's not to tell you what a great job you're doing. It's not to encourage you in your sinful ways. But it is to show you that there is hope beyond the trouble. 
that there is life beyond this present world, that there is hope beyond all this stuff that we're caught up in right now. And if we would understand that there is still good news and good news for me to live out and good news for me to share and preach and teach, what a difference we could make in our world today. It was Christ surrendering his own life that paved the way to show us that we too can deny ourselves and lay down our lives. And by doing so, we defeat death just as he did. For when we die like this, we die in Christ, which will in turn bring eternal life. Let's all stand tonight. Knowing it would cost him all, he gave without hesitation. Knowing some would not receive him, he came without hesitation. Knowing that some would water it down and script it as a fairy tale, he laid his life down willingly. And knowing I was a sinner, and knowing I had all kinds of problems, a past, a dirty side, a poor man that chose that not God life, he gave it all without hesitation. This gospel message is still beautiful. It's not a horror. It is not a drama. But rather it is a love story. Not some fake phony love that's not real. But it is real love. For he said greater love hath no man than a man who's willing to lay his life down for a friend. At the first man's disobedience, death was introduced. But through Jesus' obedience to the death of the cross, he reintroduced life to the world. And just as our first birth brings with it Adam's baggage, our new birth will bring Christ's glory. Since the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, many have since died in Christ. Which is another way of saying they died in a state of obedience to the ways of God. For they forsook the not God life and they chose this gospel message. One day we are told that death will lose the last of its territory and will be swallowed up in victory. And it is because of the gospel that all things are made new. That no matter how bad or how ugly or how cursed or how sinful or dead someone may feel, they can receive new life. And the hope we can have that is eternal life with Jesus. That is the gospel. That is the good news. And we can rejoice in it tonight because we've experienced it. We can rejoice in it tonight because we know we can still share it. My time is not yet up, but I can live it. I can love it. I can share it. And I can tell others, look what the Lord has done. Look what he did for me. Look what he did for you already. Look at the steps that God has made in order for you to get to the place that you're at tonight. Are you thankful for good news tonight? Are you thankful to know it's just more than good news, but it's the best news ever? 
that through the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, I can have new life. Woo! Praise God. Some of us haven't been so excited about this in a long time. All this other bad news has kind of put a dark cloud. All this bad news has been like those that watched him breathe his last breath. Thinking this is it. I watched it unfold. I watched it happen. But we got to keep dead, dead. You can try to keep dead, dead all you want to. But three days later, you can try to stifle the church all you want to. You can let there be wars and rumors of wars. You can let there be pestilences. You can let there be brother against brother. You, you go ahead and do all that. But there's going to be somebody that endures until the end. And not only that, but there's going to be the gospel of the kingdom that is still going to be preached. There's going to be a gospel that is going to be shared because somebody obtained it, because somebody got it in their soul and said, I'm going to live this life for God. I'm going to live this gospel message, and I'm going to tell it wherever I go. Said I wasn't going to tell nobody, but I couldn't keep it to myself. Said I wasn't going to tell nobody, but I couldn't keep it to myself. I said I wasn't going to tell nobody, but I couldn't keep it to myself. Do you feel that way tonight? You ought to tell somebody. It's good news. And the people who've had nothing but bad news, they might just shout when you tell them. They might just lift their hands right then and begin speaking in tongues. They might just ask to be baptized right then and there if you would tell them, I've got good news to bring. Woo! Come on, give the Lord a hand clap of praise tonight. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Woo! Praise God, praise God, praise God. Amen, amen. Praise God. Thank you for being faithful to the house of God tonight. Remember our announcements. Amen. God bless you tonight. Love somebody. Let them know how thankful you were that they are here tonight. Go tell somebody what the Lord has done for you. God bless you.